This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! This is Rog. Oh, happy Thursday. The day in which we plumb the Men in Blazers' annals to relive some classic MIB. This one popularly demanded, don't know why, comes from the 11th of October 2017. Yes, oh, that awful morning after the night before, a night on which, how innocent we were back then, the worst thing that I could have imagined came true. Yep, the US men's national team strapped on a pair of wax wings and flew straight at the sun in Trinidad and Tobago, losing 2-1 and with every other result in a hex going full-on worst-case scenario in the face. Oh, the US men did the unthinkable and failed to qualify for the 2018 Men's World Cup. Just saying those words still sickens and shocks me. I remember watching that game at home with my children sobbing all around me, looking on in sheer horror as Bruce Arena's tiny swagger evaporated and Sonny Galati, remember him, writhed in agony on the sideline as each one of the seemingly far-fetched, terrible gifts accumulated on our boys, whom we'd always believed in. I'd always believed they were on an irrevocable upwards climb in terms of world status. <sighs> Crashed out of the World Cup. A disaster from which they're really yet to recover. I couldn't sleep that night. Sat up. Filled with angst, anger, complete confusion, staring out at the darkness of the night. Around 5am, I just started typing pod notes. Then charged down to meet Davo and J-Dubs at first light. Big life lesson. All that then seemed so massive, so seismically life-changing, has come to feel so small. Which is part of what makes this podcast, with its then heartfelt frenzy, seem almost charming, naive in light of what's happening in our world today. And it is small. It is. It's just football. Still, in terms of football, that game will be how time is measured, really, before TNT and after TNT from a men's footballing sense. We thought it was an idea. We hope it was an idea. We thought at best it would be a very rude wake-up call that could teach us a lesson, shed some of the hubris. Arguably the opposite has been true. We've now got so many young, exciting talents. But ask yourself as we listen, how many lessons have really been learnt? We'll be back tomorrow with a WGFOP The Ball broadcast taking your questions, which you can phone in at 646-450-9472. 646-450-9472. But for now, here's your Thursday classic, a Holy Crap USA podcast. This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho, it's the Men in Blazers podcast, Roger. It's an emergency pod. Emergency. 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 Uh, hold me, Davo. <laughs> Tiny dancer. Oh, for the night is dark and full of terrors. I never knew what that phrase meant until about 4 a.m. this morning. Trauma, 
loss, pain, change, fear of change. This is going to be a pod, a raw pod, right? Producer J-Dubs comes after the saddest of sad naps, a four-year sad nap, David. We were just conquer calfed And I warn you, <laughs> I warn you up front, mate, I might cry during the taping of this pod. Well, I you, might, you're my only hope. You, you look like you've been crying all night. You look a little bit worse for wear. If I can paint a picture oh, for mad, you all out there in mad hungover. out there in Radio Land, um, Podland. Rog is wearing a bobble hat, his Iceland bobble hat that he bought back from Iceland. Iceland. It's authentic. Yeah. I think you've basically nailed your colours to the wall right now. You said who you're going to be supporting in this uh, upcoming Unique Territories World Cup. But more than just supporting, yeah. I don't just support them in the, f- in the future. Yeah. I support their approach to football and change yeah. and metho- methodologically improving yeah. their talent base, their okay. coaching base. The blueprint, David. The blue- We're going to talk about... This is a preview. Roger's just given us a preview of his take. And I it's also want Iceland to say, take. I also want to say, yeah. just because the US did not qualify for the 2018 World Cup, yeah. does not mean that they cannot win it in my imagination. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> Beckerman is still scoring from 65 that's still, yards. That's still, yeah, with an assist from Dax McCarthy. Yeah. But we've got a lot to talk about today. We've got so many questions. Our Facebook has yeah. just been a light. Your tweets, your ravens that you've sent. So many questions. Was Jurgen right after all? Yeah. Is Alexi Lalas a prophet? Is it too late for us to go to the United Nations and make the case that no team should go to a Russia World Cup on moral grounds? Oh, clever. Get on it, Nikki Haley. Yeah. I mean, but Davo, first, is it me? Everything in life I touch, it just seems to be going to crap. Yep. Everton. Yep. The US football team. Uh Uh-huh. Our executive branch. I finally put in my American (laughs) citizenship papers. And everything just... Yeah. Is it my fault? We're all partly to blame. Um, I think there is some truth to that. Everybody involved in U.S. soccer uh, shares a little bit of the blame in this. Uh, And you maybe share a little bit more blame than than other people, Rog, uh, than just regular punters, regular followers of the game. I mean, we both do. But it's not your fault, Rog. It's not... This isn't... This isn't the, the world. When you shut your eyes, the world is still there. It's all working. It's not all you. You are, not, you are not God. This has this oh, not all been made you. by you. Thank you. So to be clear, to recap so far, it's not my fault. Yeah. Number two, it's definitely not Sunil Galati's fault. Definitely not. Number three, <laughs> it's all Volpe Foods' fault. <laughs> right? Be. It could be. All their food stuff. One thing I'm very conscious of is that there may be some people listening to this pod who've been on a two-day bender who have no idea what we're talking about. We should just start off saying this is an emergency pod because the U.S. men's national team failed to qualify for the World Cup Yeah, this is for you, Mrs. Galati. We know you're listening and you don't know what happened. So, Dave, a recap. I'm not sure what the viewership on BN Sports was last night as they eliminated Fox Sports in the World Cup, but I doubt that it was... (laughs) I doubt that it was the number one show in primetime uh, on on. I think on it was Tuesday the number evening. three show uh, on being sports <laughs> yeah, of the day. The, the 24-hour period. I'm not uh, sure it was huge, but... It, it's an emergency If you're pod. waking up, the US lost in Trinidad and Tobago, and because of other results in the extraordinarily CONCACAF-y region, we went into peak CONCACAF world last we night. We went past peak CONCACAF. The US men's national team 
actually, I can't believe we're even podding. I feel like I'm in a dream that we're dreaming about podding. The US men's national team failed to make the World Cup. Yeah, I mean, to, you, you're being a little too kind of <sighs> rational about it all. Really, we all just have barely survived the American footballing apocalypse. Yeah. With the darkest of days. I mean, you and I texted at the final whistle. Yeah. One of us was crying. Yeah. One of us couldn't feel their legs. Yeah. And you told me, you texted, it's only a football game. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. It, it wasn't the end of the world. It, I do feel that about football. It did feel I mean, like it to me. I know rationally it's not. Yeah. I know no team qualifies forever. We've had a good run. Just ask Chile, Netherlands. Yeah. There's two men who were born in England. We, we've lived through our fair share of experiencing our national team failing to qualify for the World Cup. Yeah. 74, which I don't remember. Do you yeah, remember 74, that? Yeah, 74, remember it very well. I remember not making it in 74. I remember not making it in 78. I remember 94. not making it in 94. It was nearly always Poland's fault, by the way. But it was a... And this is after <laughs> England were... It's hard to remember this, but... In 66, England won the World Cup. In 1970, England was still very good. They eliminated in the quarterfinals, I believe, in the Mexico World Cup. But still very, very good. And 74 was a shock to the system. I was seven years old, eight years old when that, when that failed to happen. I remember being heartbroken about it. And then we went into a point where the World Cup was just something that involved other countries. It didn't involve us in 74, didn't involve us in 78. And I couldn't sleep last night. I kept hearing Davo's words, be positive. It's not the end of the world. And one positive ray before I really jump down the wormhole of darkness that I'm experiencing right now, and I know so many of you listening are experiencing right now, I want to say the World Cups that England did not qualify for in my memory, 78 and 94, it's okay. They were still magnificent athletic spectacles of human theatre. Probably better because England weren't in them, to be honest. But we survived England not being in the World Cup, right, David? And yeah. we will survive the United States not being in. Oh, without, Fest without, without any doubt. And look, and I think nailing sort of, you've sort of given us your preview, the Iceland thing. I'll give you my preview. Football is great. World football is great. In the, in the midst of the horrors of watching what happened in TNT last night, just go online and look at Messi's hat trick and tell me as a football fan that that doesn't, like, fill you with joy. I watched that with my six-year-old son t today. He's had his full Barcelona kit, full kit, <laughs> going off to uh, school today. And after watching he's Messi's... He's a huge Otamendi fan, <laughs> isn't he? <laughs> he is, he loves him. But he's um, watched that Argentina hat-trick and tell me that you are not salivating I'll, over seeing Lionel Messi see at the World Cup. And up you want, yeah. look at our Twitter feed and look at the footage of the Panamanian broadcasters reacting to their late goal. It's, yeah. It hurts to watch as an American fan, but that watch a it. It's a must-watch yeah. because it reminds you about the joy you can feel through football. Those human feelings are coming to us and then some in 2018 at Putin Fest. But for now, Dave, out, damn, it hurts. And here's what I want to do. I want to relive our steps, our missteps yeah. of the past week forensically. Smoke still wafting after this. Week of doom, a week that began with glory, snatched from concern at the outset. We were concerned on Friday afternoon, then we were glorious. We moved through victory, possibly to overconfidence, bordering on arrogance in some parts. I want to relive the two games against Panama, against Trinidad and Tobago, and then I want to draw out the ramifications, the what the crap does this mean for all of us who sail together 
on this doomed dread ship, US soccer. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I want to follow your lead. I want to try and get us into a positive place. I need your help, David. Yeah. We're going to walk through the darkness together. I will say, I'm overwhelmed by your emails. I really am your Facebook post. I, I am sitting up through the night trying to read as many as I can. I am going to try and reply. Um, but I need my misery, my rage, my fear to subside. To subside. So let's do this. Let's do this, Davo. In the spirit of this post by Owen Landry, who wrote on our Instagram this morning, last night's game will be the opening credit scene in the inevitable movie made about the World Cup winning 2022 US men's national team. Let the soul searching commence. Oh, Davo, we need yeah. courage more than ever. Very good points, a good starting point. Okay, let's go back ourselves. Let's go in the George Michael sports machine. Fuck chow. Go back to Friday, Rog. The game we will call False Hope, USA 4, Panama 0. Bruce's side pumped four past the Panamanians in Jam Lando Friday with Christian Pulisic scoring in just the eighth minute and the team never looking back. Josie added a brace. Bobby Wood lashed home a fourth. And we went to bed Friday night full of Guinness, or tequila in my case, and with dancing Russian bears filling our (laughs) dreams. Devo, how naive we were. Yeah. Even thinking about this game now, it's just so full of nostalgia. It feels sepia-toned in my we don't, imagination. We don't need a defence. We don't need, <laughs> we don't even need defenders. I mean, we got three up front. But this game, it harks back to a more innocent time in US soccer history when everything still felt possible. We could taste the bloody pierogies in Russia. I mean, Bruce Arena, we still saw him as the major domo, the ageing hermit mystic summoned from the mountaintop to save his peaceful, agrarian peasant people from the threat of external <laughs> war once again. If that aging hermit mystic looked a little like a, a soccer-loving Tommy Hilfiger. That's, that, see, that's more, that's more the Bruce Arena I saw. <sighs> he went old school, though, Davo, for this one, for crunch time. None of those pesky German-Americans. Yeah. Just us old school guys. Yeah. I mean, it was like a US soccer reunion tour where the band got back together one more time to play its greatest hits. Yeah. We even shipped in Bob Bradley for good measure, and it all felt so perfect. Yeah. US, they trotted out that disco tunnel. Oh, disco tunnel. We love disco tunnel. Panama started sobbing during their national anthem. Yeah, Tactical of course they did. mistake. They, uh, beautiful song, though. They won the national anthems. They did, by miles. But at the time, we thought they'd lost the war, Davo. We were so wrong on those emotions, those misplaced emotions, how wrong it turned out to be. I mean, in that game, it was less a game. It was more like Christian Pulisic's bar mitzvah, soccer-themed <laughs> bar mitzvah. The night he became the man the prince that was promised with his little American bald eagle arming to, to, to boot. That was a man who was poised to absolutely suck up every sponsorship deal available in the World Cup year after he broke through early and often. The defensive line of the Panamanians couldn't live with our front three. I mean, it felt like at the final whistle, you were waiting, weren't you, for PSG to just announce an $800 million deal to buy Pulisic, Wood, and Josie. <laughs> massive, in- massive upgrade. Yeah. Um, and I thought that U.S. looked very good going forward. It was amazing in a 4-0 victory that it still made you, frankly, crap yourself every time you watch the ball go anywhere near the U.S. penalty area. The defense looked uh, shaky at best. Panama, very naive, played two up front, allowed themselves to get completely overcrowded in <sighs> midfield, and they just couldn't stay with the U.S. And we have to say something, is the one group that I think comes out of this with enormous credit in the U.S. are the U.S. fans. That atmosphere in Orlando, the U.S. fans, the way that they... i got to tell you, the, the, the U.S. support, and this is massive. I've been watching football in America. I've been watching this U.S. men's national team since 1990, since long before the 94 World Cup. 
what has happened in this country in terms of the support and the way this team gets behind the team and the way that the team plays in front of their own fans, it is an absolutely marvellous thing to see. And when they're fueled up on that adrenaline, playing in front of those fans, amazing. Orlando, amazing job. Yeah, even in this game, David, the seeds of our ultimate demise, they, demise, they were evident. I mean, Bruce Arena had left Jeff Cameron on the bench, preferring Omar Gonzalez and Matt Beasler. And it was sloppy. It really was. It was wide open, the game. The US did look stretched. They looked like a Premier League side. Unfortunately, that Premier League side was Liverpool. We had the attack of the gods and, and defence not so much. Even in this game, Omar Gonzalez looked like an American Ashley Williams, and that's not a compliment. You, you were very high on Bruce Serena giving Becky Sauerbrum a, a call up for the, I, I, for the I, I said to Rog, I said to Rog yesterday that I'm, I'm quite high on the idea. Of, I, you know, I like to play the babies, but my new thing is play the ladies. I sort of feel like it would be a major upgrade for the US if we played the women in the, uh, in, 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 in the two centre-back spots. And this is something which we can come and we can talk about later too. But this is something that we have been talking about for a very, very long time uh, in following the US team. And I go back to 2002 and my analysis at the end of that World Cup. The US's failure to find a centre-back partnership of any duration over the course of the entire time I've been watching um, uh, US soccer, that is, I think, a, just a direct criticism and it's a question of what we're actually doing there. How can you leave Balboa and Lalas on the bench? <laughs> I know, I know they should be they should be playing. But look, they are legends compared to what has played for the US since. There have been some great moments that the John Anthony Brooks goal in in, in Brazil. There have been some like they cruelly robbed of his services through injury. Yeah, but there have been some there have been some moments, there have been some things. But honestly, in the modern game, in the US, for us to be fielding such and this is great, that they they are they are good players. But in terms of like U.S. athletics and U.S. athletes, for us not to have great athletes playing in that position, I just don't quite get it. When I make the movie of this campaign, David, Josie's Penenka, the penalty, and that feeling of adrenaline-filled delirium that we all experienced when that ball went in, that would be where I would freeze-frame the opening scene. That moment we flew too close to the sun, perhaps. We unfurled our job-done banner on the deck. And as the film frame freezes, I, the opening line would cut in. The VA would just say, you might be wondering how I got here. I mean, everything just Very went John Hughes, I like it. downhill from that second. In, in a Game of Thrones structure, you know, uh, the two games, the win, the light, and then the loss, the darkness, that cruel structure that we always see in Game of Thrones. You know, members of House of Stark know this well. You battle by battle, false hope. We had the Battle of the Whispering Wood. Rob inflicts heavy defeat upon the Lannisters, destroys nearly all of Jaime's host, captures the Kingslayer. And then came the Trinidad and Tobago Red Wedding, Davo. And I will say about football, as in life, the punch that hurts the most is the one that you never see coming. Great point, Rog. Yes, the Panama game, Orlando, Jam Lando set us up for last night when the US travelled to TNT for the final tie of the hex with the last place soccer warriors entering the game. A draw virtually guaranteed the US third place in the group and an automatic berth in Russia. I read the various scenarios 20 times thinking, okay, there's no way all of this can possibly happen. But after falling behind 2-0 in the first half, the US oh. couldn't find a way back despite a Christian Pulisic goal, inevitable Christian Pulisic goal. That result, combined with Honduras's 3-2 win over group leader Mexico and Panama's last gasp, controversial, you have to say, 2-1 win over Costa Rica means the United States of America will miss its first World Cup no. 
in 32 no. years, Rod, since <laughs> 1986. My first is a bald. That's very true. Oh. Although I would like to see evidence. <laughs> Armageddon. The debacle. The apocalypse. Essentially, my recurring nightmare lived out for real, Dave. I take solace in the truth that what is dead may never die, but... More like, people have watched your nightmares than were watching this game on being sports last night, Rush. We're talking about watching, Davo. I mean, I, I'll say a few things in football are harder to watch than the Men in Blazers show. We pride ourselves on that, right? Thank you. This game was one of the few. It really was. And, and before we delve into it, let's remind you of our national mission before kickoff. We, who put a man on the moon, <laughs> a Starbucks on every corner, on every street, faintly audible, Across the globe. Sunil Galati is not responsible for either of those miracles, Rod. Oh, he loves a good pumpkin latte. He might have gone to space camp as a kid. (laughs) (laughs) We needed a draw to qualify in Trinidad. 99th ranked team in the world. And Tobago. That makes them 129th ranked team in the world when they had the Tobagans. They'd won one game in the Hex. But as we found out, you lower your game to the level of your broadcaster. Thank you, Beam. <laughs> That's unfair. And really... That's unfair. Oh, that triple box that they plagued this with will literally mentally... Uh, Guantanamo... Can I just make one point? People, people are constantly tweeting what? me about the production quality of Beam's feed. They are taking the local broadcaster's feed. That is not Beam's feed. That is the local broadcaster's feed. Yeah. Who also does public access <laughs> television. By the way, and that, shoots that's going to win. That, star no, no, no. Bombs. The coverage of that game, that's going to win That's going to win the TNT Sports Emmy. I'm telling you right now. That, that was maybe the finest production ever <laughs> in the history of Trinidadian sports. <laughs> I'll say, God, we'd, I'd love to win a Trinidadian <laughs> Sports Emmy. <laughs> we might already have that. Oh, the story here really begins the day before the game. Yep. Trinidad, beset by heavy rains. Yep. U.S. shocked to find that the Atto Boldon Stadium when they arrived for training flooded. Yeah, many of the players oh, had the to be given. Stadium, it's great, great runner. Piggybacks over an impromptu moat that had developed on the side of the field. You've got to love a moat. Sight of those photos now of the players being carried over on the backs of the training staff now just so haunting. A sign, a sign. At the time, I thought, and I think I tweeted this: Pete Concacaf has been achieved. <laughs> How little I knew about all that was to come, Davey. But Bruce Arena cocky and self-assured, mm-hmm. came out with a quote, which I'm sure will now haunt him. Uh, I don't like, think it will. Almost like an epitaph, David. Will you read it? I feel I need to put on a black shirt and a black blazer to go and uh, read this. I would love to see one of these hotshot teams from Europe come here and play in our CONCACAF qualifying and really get a taste of this and yeah. see what that's about. This is very challenging. It's like survival of the fittest. They could do one of those TV shows on this. Who will survive in the end? That's basically what this is. Oh, Dave, yeah, Dave. Uh, I mean, we've got to address. Look, this I know what I know what he's trying. I know what he's trying to say. He's trying. He's trying to say, conquer calf's hard. Erratic fields, broader way of climates, robust physical style of play, terrible refereeing. Is that's that- a, a pretty good description of world football. Yeah. Everywhere. So, so what is he trying to say? Because it comes up over and over. He's trying and over to say it. that Concacaf is harder than people give it credit for, and I think over the years Concacaf has not come in for a lot of respect. But on a day when you see that Chile don't qualify for the World Cup out of Commebol, which is a brutal qualification, uh, on a day when you see Holland uh, and our favourite Powerball dodgy flapper Arjen Robin uh, fails to qualify out of UEFA, every four years a huge team fails to qualify out of UEFA. It's a little bit. 
it just doesn't read optically very well in the world of football. It's just not okay. I mean, Belgium played on a potato patch in Bosnia. Any professional who's ever travelled to a game in Eastern Europe understands how challenging travel can be. Comabol, as you say, it's a savage. CONCACAF is bad. But that doesn't make it the hardest in the world. It's the weirdest, perhaps. It is the most concacaf It's the most surreal. Yeah. It's definitely the one that's got the most plastic Adirondack lawn chairs scattered <laughs> around randomly the side of almost every field yeah. in the region. I mean, it's most definitely got a claim to be world football's equivalent of a Star Wars cantina. Yeah. But that does not make it the most competitive in the world. There's so much margin for failure in the hex. It's so forgiving. Yeah. Claiming that it's anything but, David, it just sounds like a pathetic excuse, a footballing comb-over for a ball man. I, I, I hate it. And also, within that, he says it's basically survival of the fittest. At the very least, the US men's national team should be the fittest in this competition. That's something which has been the legacy of US football, has been their fitness and their, their mental strength. And that is what is so disappointing to me over this 10-game hex. Oh, back to the game and the pain, the numbing pain came mostly because it all began so bloody anticlimactically, Davo. There was, there was no fear. It's hard to remember this. 24 hours ago, there was no fear. We'd whack Panama. We could have sent the Cleveland Browns into Trinidad and they would have won a game. I mean, that's how crap Trinidad and Tobago seemed. And to reinforce the sense of nothing to see here at the outset... The game took place in a near-empty stadium. Yeah. I mean, there's few stadia that have less atmosphere than the Emirates. Yeah. This was one. I mean, bar the droning of a pump throughout the game. Like was a, it a pump? I, I kept on. I didn't know whether it was a, a backup generator, do you a think pump, it, do you think a, a, a humidifier. Phil Schoen's hairdryer. A dehumidifier. I don't know what it was, but it was the loudest noise in the stadium. <sighs> and um, it became more and more Guantanamo-grade torture as the night's dark tragedy unfolded. Yeah. I mean, everything we're used to in big league football was just stripped away. And we had to watch 22 averagely talented guys kick a football as if it was a pickup game in Central Park. Just the magic, the mystique, the illusion of a big event was, it was sure. And we just had football, shoddy, dark, twisted, evil, CONCACAF football. Yeah, you just said 22 men kick a football because I tuned in after about 11 minutes to witness what I then tweeted. The most concacaf thing I'd ever seen in my life. This coverage and like what this game was. And I wasn't really watching 22 men kick a football. I was watching 11 men kick a football and the US run around unable oh. to get anywhere near the ball. It was, it was surreal. It was, it was like one it was like that dream when, you're, when your feet keep on getting stuck in the mud. I have this recurrent dream that holes keep on opening up in, in a rugby field and I keep falling down them as I try to receive a pass. It was sort of like that. It was one team was running and the other team was just lolloping. Oh, my dad once had a conversation in front of me with my mother where he said, do you ever have a recurring dream where you're flying, Valerie? And she just turned around to him instantly and said, no, my recurring dream is I'm always falling, falling, <laughs> falling. Trinidad and Tobago. Oh, I love Val. Trinidad and Tobago were flying. I miss you, Val. The Shout United out. States were falling, falling, falling. And just when we thought CONCACAF couldn't get any worse, USA Defending said, hold my beer. 17th minute. Omar Gonzalez, you watch Gary Cahill, the own goal maestro on a weekly basis. I mean, he's good. Break down few Omar's people, technique. Here. Few people get to that level, but it did have some of the hallmarks of a Cahill own goal. A barely defended cross all day Innocuous. in wide areas. Trinidad and Tobago just had all the time in the world to like knock the ball into the area. And uh, Omar Gonzalez being, you know, <laughs> lightly challenged by a TNT <laughs> forward, I would say. I mean... 
pretty spectacularly. And it, it's a bumpy field. The ball bounced up. He was challenged, if you've not seen it, in the same way as one of Vladimir Putin's judo opponents challenged him before he's dispatched. But it was classic Cahillian. It was classic Cahillian technique. As a defender, I played a little bit of centre-back myself. You're taught to like get your body facing away from goal at the point you defend that ball that is coming in and you're in front of your own goal. His body is facing directly <laughs> flat out like pretty much equidistant he could have finished that in, in either corner yep. frankly from where he, he gave was. himself options yeah and it was it was nice because tim howard had fortunately just come just far enough out of the goal yep. that he could both he could get lobbed not just he could get lobbed easily the, yep. the, the ball barely crossed over the goal line yep. and sort of and beat tim howard in the air it was it was quite a finish oh, David, the cahill shock... let me just say gary cahill has rarely hit own goals that he'd be he'd be more pleased with than that uh, all i can say is Omar Gonzalez, in that one second, managed to do about a dozen things wrong. And, yeah. I, and I applaud him. I do applaud him for that <laughs> level of mastery. And, and his quote post-game broke my heart. He said, that goal, a crestfallen Gonzalez said later in the New York Times piece, will haunt me for the rest of my life. It will. Yeah. It will. Me too, Omar. Me too. I mean, when did you know we were doomed on this night, David? Well, because for me, it was right then, to be candid. I actually felt... The first time I got an inkling they might be bad because the results started going very well. They were great. Around the, the, league. the other games open were Mexico scoring. Everything seemed cruelly favorable. But when they started, it was fine. When you were reading in the tweets, you know, Mexico just scored or uh, uh, Costa Rica have scored and you sort of felt quite good about it. But when they started going to that three box, the B in three box, and they started showing footage from these games, what was going on uh, across the rest of Central America was clearly insane. I mean, we'll we'll get to later that that the 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 third Honduran goal. I've literally seen seen goals scored in Quidditch in Harry Potter movies that were less complex than that goal in terms of the number of angles it fired. I mean, the, the golden snitch flew all over the place before it rebounded in off the back of the goalkeeper's head. But it was so insane what was going on in those places. You didn't see any of the results standing. You just thought these are going to be shootouts. There are going to be lots of goals. And when I started seeing those boxes, I was like, I, we're, I, we're I, in for I a very we conky-caffy evening. Th those being three boxes, by the way, I did sleep for an hour last night with my head on my laptop. Half a bottle of Talisker. Did you finish the whole? Did you polish off the whole bottle of Talisker? Yes, <laughs> of course, mate. It's a night was was long, mate. It was my only friend, and I, I did have an hour of dream where the three box, the B in three box, was like a, um, a Pac-Man ghost chasing me around the Pac-Man maze. It's going to take a lot of scarring. It's going to take a lot of work to get that the searing memory of the B in three box out of my brain. I knew we were doomed then, David, because how a team responds to a goal. Yeah. Is everything. And this game, enormous implications for US football and its future, for the players' own future, for the yeah. players' own legacies, for Bruce Arena's legacy. And they had the pace, they had the energy, they had the invention of a preseason stroll. This is what I do not understand. Yeah. The US, so imperious, so potent against Panama in this game, so lost, so bereft, so alone, so afraid, so eerily unmotivated. And so this is where I come to the crowd. This U.S. men's national team who have played so well in front of the Outlaws, and I know people travel down there and, and shout out to you. I can't imagine what it's like for the fans who traveled down there. But without that like rambunctious U.S. crowd that they felt in, um, that they feel when they go to the World Cup, that they certainly feel at home, it was very, very tough for the U.S. to get motivated. And that was hard. We talk a lot about the weight of the shirt. Um, 
what is it? The peso de camisa, the yeah. weight of the shirt. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it didn't feel like the weight of the shirt. It actually felt like just numbness. Not really like giving enough of a of an S about it. Like it was just strange. It was just a strange thing. I've seen England play with that weight of the shirt, unable to move because they feel the pressure in front of their fans at Wembley who are getting more and more anxious. This wasn't that. This was almost an amble in the park. These players the response care. to that These goal, players they, they were care. almost impotent. They, they were almost unable they, to meet fate and to try and they do enforce care. themselves upon they it. They do care, but it was, something, it was something a little bit new for me. And my gut reaction to it was, one... They had never even conceived of themselves being in this position. And so they were in some form of shock about being in this position. Two, that they felt almost too good to go and be in this position. So they didn't have a natural response, except for one very, very key person on that field, which is Christian Pulisic, who his entire, and by the way, Clint Dempsey when he came on, is a very, very different, the way those two gentlemen are wired is very, very different than the rest of that team. Um, the response was panic. Frankly, they gave away... It, has, it was sort of a stone-cold penalty right after that. Very, very fortunate not to be given. And beyond that, the reaction was just very, very, very little. Still, no discipline, playing incredibly out of position. You know, the second uh, goal. No surprise. Nagby nowhere near no, so the play. None of them. The defenders didn't shut yeah. him down at all. And him is Alvin Jones, a name that will be familiar to any listeners of our other podcast which focuses solely on the Trinidad and Tobago League yeah. and his team, the W Connection, which we talk about we on an almost weekly connection. Connect. Well, we, yeah. do. we love the W yeah. Connection. He just let rip from so far. I think he was technically still in Tobago when he, um, <laughs> when he took that shot. I mean, we've all scored one of those goals, Dave, the putative toe-bunger from drone strike range. Well, you, you need to be playing on a slightly bumpy, soggy pitch to hit that goal. The ball bounced up when you watch the replay, even though I think the replay was... Uh, the, the, the pictures coming from Trinidadian television were at about, what, 10 or 11 frames per second. But So, <laughs> so, so the replays were a little choppy in slow motion. But the ball seemed modem. to bobble up perfectly with a very, very weird bounce at the point that, 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 that he struck it. He struck it from so far, and it's not a so far. it's not an angle. Also, from quite an acute angle, it's not an angle you see people shoot from very often. Uh, Tim, Tim Howard not prepared at all. The, I don't think he was prepared that anybody was even was going to take a shot, let alone what he would do if they actually. I'm Tim shot Howard. It. You're not going to shoot at me from yeah, there. He he wasn't. He, what he didn't get that close to it. You're going to shoot at me from there, but it is a goal, Dave. I mean, it pained me to watch the ball as it flew off his foot. Because I have watched, and I love Tim Howard. I admire Tim Howard. Tim Howard has been a remarkable servant for United States soccer. But I've seen Frank Lampard score that kind of goal yeah. against Tim at least twice. I've seen Matic score it against him twice, I believe. <laughs> I, I'm so numb to that kind of goal. It's Tim's great nemesis. It is the goal that has dogged him. The bomb from long range that tests your reflexes, your positioning, your footwork. Oh, I just say darkness, Tim. Why, why could we not let the Belgian game be how we remember you, you man of wonder? 2-0 down, but we're still getting help from elsewhere, Davo. But our play, it, it's still dead. It's as if Bruce had fielded an army of whites, an intimate army of the dead, devoid of human emotion or independent thought or initiative. No bloody ice dragons to come to the rescue. It was a United States men's national team without fight, Davo. It really was. That's what was most curdling for me to watch. Tobago could have beaten us solely. 
Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, and you do have to give some credit to that first half performance. You know, football, bloody football. Trinidad and Tobago with nothing to achieve other than, you know, the point that Eric Ronaldo made on Twitter, vengeance uh, for getting eliminated by the US uh, themselves, um, you know, in World Cup qualifying a few eons ago. But it's a... Uh, they played superb football in that first half. They did. They knocked it around. They played on the same pitch as the US. They played with confidence. They really, really went for it. And uh, W Connection fans, respect. Yeah. Pulisic got his contractually obliged goal. Yeah. Nice move. Handing 12 of the 17 American goals in the Doom Tax. An amazing statistic. And it's also a dark one. We are ultimately utterly reliant on the plucky, young, tenacious child warrior. But that was it. Dempsey came on, hit the post. Oh, yeah, you know, but the game had spiralled over the abyss, Dave. Too late we realised that we're mortal and that death can strike so quickly when we least expect it. The other games, Honduras, Mexico, Panama, Costa Rica, were just unfurling themselves in horror. Oh, it was like watching Florida precincts report on election night all over again. Each goal that undid us was more conquer than the last, as if it had learnt from the conquer of that last goal, Dave. Honduras scored against Mexico by repeatedly banking the ball in <laughs> off the back of the Mexican goalkeeper's head. <laughs> they, were, they, they, they were honestly like FIFA fail videos. Yep. That you see, they, they were FIFA fail video goals. With, um, it was like bloopers you get in an MLB game in, yeah. in like fifth inning. Yeah, I was laughing in, and then I realised what they meant. Shot in standard def television somewhere between 7 and 11 frames per second. It was just amazing... It was it was amazing to go and watch. We should Less say amazing. that that, that Panamanian Perez. first goal. Blas Perez is equaliser. Yeah, never crossed the line. No, given us a goal. Yeah, what makes you feel worse than losing? Losing to a ghost goal. Yeah, just ask the Irish how they're still haunted by Thierry Henry's shameful handball that qualified France for the 2010. I, I still relive Maradona's hand to God goal. It stings. It yeah. still stings. I saw, you know Lampard's goal against Germany in the, in the 2010 World Cup that went like four yards over the line. <sighs> But here's the rub, Davo. Here's the rub. We were not ultimately cruelly undone by others. Yeah. This was all still in our own hands, our own control. This was American self-harming, American self-destruction. And this is about a 10-game hex. It's not about a a single night. And this is what fills me with bile, though, Davo. The fact that the US were flat was bad. The fact that Bruce Arena could do nothing to change it is just inexcusable to me. It, Mm. It was all a bit, and I tweeted this, like watching England play NFL football. No ability, no evident game plan, no leadership that we could see, no response. And Philip Larkin wrote in a poem, nothing to be said, a beautiful line. He said, life is slow dying. Life is slow dying. And I've never been more aware of that than during the second half of this Trinidad-Tobago oh. game, David. Trinidad and Tobago didn't even seriously time-waste in this game, not by world football standards. It was just foul after foul by the US in unnecessary places on the field, slowing down the game. Very, very few chances. There was the header, the pretty good save by the TNT goalkeeper in the last 10 minutes. Far Harbour, you know, came on and, and ran around a lot. But it was a... What a poor Benny. Yeah. Dreamt of coming back for the US team for decades. Yeah. Then go in there, kid. Save the whole nation. I was like screaming for Dax. Fighter. I was screaming for Dax McCarty in that second half to come on and give Michael Bradley a little bit of help in the centre of midfield. But uh, I don't think Bruce was watching the same game that we were. <sighs> this game, David, it was like every single torturous agony I've suffered as an Everton fan over the past thirty years just compressed into the space of ninety minutes. And it was a night which began with us 
mourning the prospect of a World Cup without Lionel Messi. And it ended with us facing up to one without Christian Pulisic. I, I feel for him. I feel for him. I, I feel for all the players. But he had dragged that team forward. He'd been kicked upside down along the way without any kind of a Rob Ray NHL-style enforcer to protect him. Always bringing it. And now, no big dance. I mean, I, I do I, a word on Pulisic. Worry not about him. He is the kind of player. That he's got that kind of mentality who'll use this, the anger that he no doubt feels this morning, the disappointment, the frustration as motivation to drive himself to ever greater heights. That's who he is. That's his mental makeup. He will never forget this. It will send him hurtling forward ever closer to wonder. I prepared a whole thing to talk about today on the pod anticipating US victory, which is that we have to stop talking about Christian Pulisic because if we keep on talking about him, he's so significant to this US team, he's going to get man-marked out. He's going to get you know, Manchester United against Eden Hazard at Old Trafford last season. He's going to get man-marked and, frankly, kicked off the park out of the World Cup. Today, the Scotsman, so it's not English bias, the Scotsman newspaper did a story on the 18 most significant players who are going to go and miss the World Cup. Christian Pulisic doesn't even get a mention. He still doesn't getting the... He's not getting the, the press around the world. I was thinking, we just need to stop talking about him so he can still be our secret weapon and people don't like man-mark him out Stephen of the world. Stephen Naismith was the first 17 <laughs> in that list. We've got to make this point. It was an MLS player that was our executioner. Giant Panamanian wardrobe, Roman Torres, of Seattle, spanking that ball. Oh, Great goal. Beautiful. You, once again, a beautiful football goal. A coup de grace. Yeah, I mean, Panama, who we jilted at the last and prevented qualifying for World Cup 2014, their revenge, like Arias Stark taking down the house fray. We broke their hearts four years ago in the final minutes of the game. I was there, and now they savoured our suffering. And what suffering? I mean, it was hello darkness, my old friend, great suffering. What emotions did you feel at the final whistle, Dave? It's so funny because um, 10 minutes before the end of the game, I had a mate coming over for a drink. And my mate Tim Geary, uh, English friend, lives in LA. His son, uh, my godson, big football fan. He arrived with a supermodel extraordinaire, former great supermodel Frederick Van Vaal. Came over to my house last night, met my kids before they went to bed. And she walked in, Dutch woman. This is a woman. Living in New York. Sounds, yeah, like, Van a, sounds like a Chelsea 1980s reserve goalkeeper. Frederick Van der Vaal, one of the greats. And a lovely, lovely woman, old mate of my, my friend Tim's. Big football fan comes in and she's witnessed already the Dutch not qualify on that day. I think they had to beat Sweden 8-0 or 7-0 or something to go and get in. And so her theory was like, oh, you know what? It's like it's football. Like the Holland don't qualify. The US don't qualify. It just is. It, it all happens. Tim and I were watching in absolute shock. My son, George, is wondering why I'm watching public access television football and it doesn't look like <laughs> Premier League or what he usually watches on television as he's sort of dribbling around his extreme left-footedness. It was just a surreal sort of world going on. I just couldn't believe what I was watching. I was frankly so worried about you. I was checking on you, like on Twitter. I was thinking of calling Mrs. B and just making sure she was around and you had adult supervision. Um, and all the other, like Alexi, I wasn't hearing from Alexi. I was just very worried about a lot of people. You got a lot um, of love in your heart, Dave. But at you the do. end of it, my text is, this is just football. And football is great. And football is wonderful. And the World Cup is going to be wonderful, whether or not the US were in it or not. And we have to in this country, I think, and this isn't just like... Uh, I've been here for 28 years of my life. I've, I've lived and died with this 
with this uh, US team, just as I, I live and die with England. But we have to accept if you really love football, you've got to love all football and you've got to enjoy all of it. And you've got to accept the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. And we cannot be American exceptionalists about football. And this, to me, is the biggest thing as we go forward. We cannot be American exceptionalists. We have to accept that a rising tide lifts all boats, that all football is good. And we have to truly love it in that way at every single level of this game if the U.S. is truly going to take a seat on the world stage. Uh, I hope you're right, Dave. I've got to say, when that final whistle went, I, I, I felt humiliated. I felt soul destroyed. I felt Why? humbled. Why humiliated? I heard that word from a lot of people. I don't understand. Three wins. Three wins in 10 hexagonal games. Insipid, lifeless play when our fate was on the line. From a team that as long as I've watched it, from the, you know, 94 onwards, was a team who prided themselves in their collective play. They never say die. The underdog fight. Our pride in the jersey. And none of that was evident, David. None of that was evident. I mean, just a wake-up call that we have to recalibrate our understanding of how football world works right now. The challenge for us has always been, how do we close the gap with the big dogs, the Belgians, the Spains, the Brazils? We've got to be aware. The gap's closing behind us too. World football is more competitive. This goes for the men and the women's game, by the way. Nothing is a given. Nothing is a birthright. The way things were is not how they're going to be. And we've got to appreciate that with the taste of our own blood in our mouth. And what we do now, what we do now, David, will define the next generation of football in this country. And I'll say, as I think about this, uh, and I, I started to think through, well, how does this impact everything? We're going to talk about that now. How does that impact everything? And I started to type, I started to text with you, communicate with J-Dubs, deal with the GFOPs over Facebook and Twitter. All while my 11-year-old, Bearsy, was just doubled over in agony. Mm. And sobbing. And my seven-year-old just he simply did not understand, did not comprehend what had happened. How, how could the first World Cup that he'll experience as a sentient football fan not involve his American heroes? That, that was the, the personal darkness. But professionally, strategically, we have got to use this moment to be inspired by the competition, to be self-aware about what just happened, and, and to really focus on the reality i kept thinking of this heart of darkness quote at the moment we're in the jungle there's too many of us we had access to too much money too much equipment and little by little we went insane we've got to get sane very quickly very strategically and, and make this an incredible turning point for u.s soccer because what we do now will define us i think you made a, a very good point there that i don't want to get lost within sort of the larger context which is you've got to look at this sort of you know, often, I think I've said this before, but I learned how to read a green from 100 yards away as a playing golf, is you don't look at the green when you get on it. From 100 yards away, you look at the slope of a green and you see, is it sloping front to back? Is it sloping left to right? Like, where is the slope? And when you get onto the green, whatever the little variations of the break of the part, it's basically going to be affected by what the green looks like from 100 yards away. And the overall slope of the green from 100 yards here is that in world football, everybody is getting better. And because everybody's getting quicker and everybody's getting more athletic, that it's harder and harder to break down defenses. Everybody's fitter. Everybody's playing on, on the whole, on better pitches. Everybody has youth development. Everybody is, uh, has scouting systems to go and find their best players. And football, by its nature, is not about possession. It's not about yards gained. 
It's about individual breaks that give you goals. And you concede a goal early. It's always tough to go and come back in a football game. You can always concede a goal against the run of play. The best teams in the world still lose a lot of games. You know, we had French fans in here this week and French fans were bemoaning. We look at them as being legitimate World Cup contenders. They were worried about... By French fans, you mean Phoenix. Yeah, they were worried about not... Um, about not qualifying for the World Cup. It's razor thin for everybody in world football. You can lose at the, at the knockout stages of the World Cup. You can lose a single elimination game on a neutral field because of one bad refereeing decision. Football is, is just extraordinarily close for everybody. Pulisic is a fantastic player. We should treasure him. He is going to be a massive star in America but there are a lot of fantastic players around the world. There are a lot of people, a lot of nations have their politics. There are a lot of other great players who are not going to go and be at the World Cup. Um, you could form an amazing all-star team, potentially a team to win the World Cup of the players who aren't going to go and make it over there. It's just very, very competitive. Football is very, very competitive, and there are no easy fixes. So there's nothing that anybody's talking about on Twitter Pro-Rel, pay-to-play, firing Sunil Galati, firing Bruce Arena is going to change the 100-yard view of that green, which is football well, let's, is bloody let, competitive. Let's get on the green. Let's get on the green in part two of this podcast. I mean, I, I'm really trying to keep things positive. And the most positive thing I can take from last night is we're spared from embarrassing ourselves with a pair of World Cup 2018 Nike clown pajamas. <laughs> Those designs will probably see the light of day. Yeah. I haven't seen them. I heard they're made of real recycled bald eagle feathers. Mm -hmm. Not a good look. But let's get into our big picture takeaways, David. I have so many. Let's run through them. Okay, go. Uh, I mean, it's been a great run by the US, we should say. Number one, to me, this is going to cost us, David. This is going to cost us. Everyone who loves the game in the US is going to feel the sting of this. I mean, no more than US soccer, whose brand which should be aspirational and unifying, has really been besmirched by by just that dismal, impotent stench of defeat. Yeah, my counter to that is that soccer is not owned by the authorities. Soccer is owned by the people, owned by the streets, owned by the players. Um, and it's not like, you know, I expect US soccer to work with the efficiency of Amazon. You know, it's not a... It's not that kind of an organization. I do think governance is very important in all organizations, and I think we've got to look at U.S. soccer and look at governance, look at who's standing for election. I think what happens at U.S. soccer next is going to be significant, but it isn't going to be the be-all and, and end-all to football. The biggest weakness, the big difference for this team qualifying and not qualifying was the fact that they conceded 13 goals in the hex. 13 goals is too many. U.S. scored a bunch of goals. They conceded 13 goals in this hex. It was a problem at centre-back and centre-midfield, which should be coachable. It should be fixable. We should be finding athletes to go and find that position. But football is not run by the authorities, but football is a growing game. The authorities are incredibly important. Sweden's failure to qualify for the last World Cup was meant to have cost them a quarter of a billion dollars in sponsorship, revenue to put back into the game. When Mexico almost didn't qualify, it was projected at almost costing them a billion dollars if they hadn't gone through. I mean, the US is going to come somewhere in between that. That's money that's not going to come back into the game. I mean, I want to make it clear in my mind, and you're a television man, you know better than I do, the World Cup's still going to be a spectacle that can hook the American sporting fan culturally, draw a rating there, It will do fantastically. But US soccer, it's going to have to rebuild their credibility 
less in the eyes of the avids and the American outlaws who are always going to be there, but in their target growth audience, the American ball sports lover, that audience who 20 years ago were just sucker sucks, but they were thawing, they were warming to the sport, soiling ourselves in Trinidad. It's the greatest way to just reinforce that warm familiarity of the nostalgic knee-jerk position of sucker sucks and we suck and everything. There's going to be a savage backlash against American soccer, Davo, from the ill-informed. Yeah. I think it's difficult. You know, U.S. soccer, in a, we're in a country where our, our, our sports culture is about private enterprise and it's about, you know, you know, the NFL, league control, sponsorship deals, all those kind of things. U.S. soccer is not really a super professionalized, super money-making organization. It's sort of caught in that sort of weird world. There's something un-American about sort of an amateur governing body. Um, I just don't know that... That, that we can put everything in that. I think I'm it's not, so I'm, easy I'm to I'm find. I'm not putting everything. I'm no, just no, no. saying it's, it's one it, of the it's, things. It's, it's what these, we're going to run through them. I think it's a big thing. I yeah. mean, I'll say, I think as much as the haters, apathy isn't as much as a challenge. I mean, yeah. the, the New York Times at 2 a.m., you had to scroll down and down and down to find any mention of the humiliation. In England, this would be number one headline, full page banner. I mean, I think the reaction is going to be delayed. The wider sports community is really only going to catch on to this failure come May 2018 when they realize, what? We're not in the bloody World Cup. Yeah. And, and, and we're going to have to deal with that. It's going to be cruel and humiliating for anyone that cares about U.S. soccer. But it will pass. I do pity Fox. I hate for Rob Stone and the whole gang there. I mean, they deserve this. They work so hard for it. This huge number of broadcasters, writers, podcasters who are going to suffer mm. because of what happened last night. But point two for me is, is heads down. We've got to stay the course, American soccer lovers. We've got, I think, more important things to focus on. That There's a moment of darkness. It stings. But we've got to work to make sure this ushers in the light. And, and last night, when I couldn't sleep, I took the book Das Reboot, written by Rafa Honigstein, who's come mm. on this pod in the past. It's a tale of how German football, after their debacle, 2000, when they even got beat by England in the group stage of the Euros and went out, um, immediately, it triggered a national soul-searching and, and just a strategic process that ultimately reinvented the nation's scouting, their coaching. It was overhauled, money was spent, coaches recruited, true network of impactful academies established. Fifteen years later, Germany were World Cup winners. Michael Ballack was unbearable with Avia, you remember that. This has got Usher in a process of crucial national debate about governance, about coaching, about youth development. I, I just hope it's a wake-up call for an honest, thoughtful, strategic conversation about the game we love, David. Yeah, look, we've seen major nations, France, Italy, Spain, uh, not qualify for World Cups, bounce back, uh, do very, very well in World Cups. So I'm not... I think if, if the US is still on course, and I do believe that the US is still on course, this... You can actually use defeat. You can learn so much in defeat, Rog. This is something we've talked about on the pod quite a lot this year. Um, look at, go back to last season, Chelsea from uh, Conte retooling the whole of Chelsea's back line because of defeat. This is a longer process. What hurts about world football is that the World Cup doesn't come every year, that it's four years away. We're looking at 2022, the next World Cup that, that the US can qualify uh, for. They're very, very hard. I, I will say, at Men in Blazers, we are happy to play a role, a small role, whatever role, in whatever national conversation needs to be convened, debated, executed. I mean, I, listeners, your ideas are welcome. Just send us your thoughts by Raven, by email, by Facebook, whatever. More to come. But what you've said is true. 2022, no sleep till Doha. 
so far away. It's got to be a time of rebirth for the US. We, we've got to play the babies. Let's play them. No game matters until we start qualifying for 2022. So many of the US players who've served our nation with, with great honour are not going to take the field again. Pretty well everybody apart from Christian Pulisic and Demarcus Beasley, I imagine. <laughs> so uh, let's battle harden. Where was Beasley last night? Mm. Where was Beasley last night? Too young, too yeah. raw to be thrown into battle. Yeah. But let's let's battle harden our young talent. McKinney, Lyndon Gooch, Josh Sargent, Andrew Carlton. There is nothing to lose. Captain now. Roll on 2022. What I want to ask you is, number four, who coaches? I mean, this is going to tarnish Bruce Arena's legacy. He was meant to be the ferryman who knew the hidden rocks of the treacherous waters of CONCACAF. He turned out to be a god with clay feet, a symbol of American coaching that's static. He could dominate the old gods of CONCACAF. He didn't understand the new. And that, and that epitaph, I would love to see one of these hotshot teams from Europe come here and play in our CONCACAF. That is just, it's just haunting. Who coaches us, David? I do think that in modern sport, you need coaches who can communicate far more fluently with players. And I do think that there was something about the image of looking at Bruce last night, and who's been a great coach in MLS and for US soccer. But there was something about watching him in the sidelines, and it was sort of a dissonance between, between what he looks like and his demeanor everything he says in press conferences, how he talks, and what you sort of feel like you want getting the best out of athletes. And you look at these young coaches, and I know not everybody can have a potch, but you look at, there isn't so much distance. You can sort of imagine him having a conversation with a player and, and a player, you know, them both being able to really understand each other and see each other and feel each other. And you just feel this disconnect between who Bruce is and who the players are. And Agreed. I think it needs to be someone who's much more of a player's coach. By the coach. way, Bruce can take solace in the fact that his forthcoming book is going to be entitled What Happened. It's going to be a great bestseller. I imagine that Sunil probably scribbled a little list in his pleather briefcase called Next American Manager, underlined twice. And I think it probably reads Bora Milutinovic, Christian Pulisic's dad, or Christian Pulisic's mum. Any of them are great. I'm not saying they're the wrong person, but I will say the old guard who wants guaranteed winning, who are now kind of faint vapors of themselves, the Louis van Gaals, the Goose Hiddinks, the Roberto Mancinis who've been kind of thrown up in our Facebook page, do not go there. I mean, we need fight. We need tactical acumen. You nailed it. We need a man manager. International football, they have so little time with their players, the managers. They need to be so good at creating a sense of optimism and collective belief, man management, we need visions. Honestly, David Wagner, who's not ready to become an international manager yet, he's got a lot of work to do at club level, he'd be amazing. I'd love Miguel Herrera. I'd love Steve Kerr. I'd love Patrick Vieira, who understands our American everything now. I'd love Peter Vermes, who I believe would just bust the gut to change things. There's something very Jim Harbaugh about him. I'd take Roberto Martinez, who's often linked to this job. He loves mm. America. We love him. International football, 90% man management. He will make everyone feel great but it's got to be good to be Tata Martino right now once yeah. at Barca now at Atlanta one great season that shows he knows how the US works and he's got after his own Argentina debacle a motivation to redeem himself yeah look I love level. that idea I love that idea you've got to ask yourself though what kind of a job is this going to be and this is where 
you know, reform at US soccer is very important and what's going on at the age groups. A lot of people have been bringing up the failure to qualify for two Olympic Games, which has affected the sort of, you know, the conveyor belt of coming through into the US men's national team. Um, I don't know how attractive this job is without more sweeping change within US soccer. Yes. Fact is that we are, we've seen some age group success in US soccer, but it's easier. There is more difference in the deltas between you know, the, the best and the, the, the middle in, in, in youth soccer, they're easier to exploit. My God, even England do well in, in, uh, in youth soccer competitions now. I don't think it's going to affect the, 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 the senior team. Um, but the biggest challenges facing US soccer aren't about the coach. They're structural, you say? Well, I think that I think for a coach coming in, they've got to know that they're going to get... This is an attractive job if you have five years to go and plan for the next World Cup. And the US, we've, we, we've suddenly got this... You know, we're making Premier League clubs look like they've got a lot of patience at this point. It's very knee-jerk reactions at this point to coaches. I think that we've got to make a long-term commitment to someone and give them control over a lot and have them work within a framework where they can really start to make a lot of change over um, the next five years. I'm decoding this as Davo throwing his hat into the ring, although I did love of all the suggestions we've had in our Facebook page, at 6BRGH92 said, Big Sam can't stay out on that pie yacht forever. Oh. You talk about talent. Point five for me is this is not a talent problem. Our talent um, pool, it's deeper now, one to 50, than I've ever seen. But I do believe that old Jurgenism is true, David, that our best talent must play at the best possible level. Pulisic, Yedlin, Bobby Wood, Brooks, Jeff Cameron. I mean, when I first interviewed Mike Bradley ever, who's playing at Roma, and he talked about his goal in life was to play the biggest games and the biggest moments, being the biggest player on the biggest stage. And that, that, to me, is what all of our players should aspire to. I mean, it's hard. It's a grind. It's a hardship. M MLS can thrive. It's not a knock on MLS. They can thrive without bringing the best US players back to it. I mean, you just have to look at Atlanta United in their debut season. The most electric football I've seen, some of it played there. Their stars are young South Americans. Martinez, Almiron. Villarba, no single massive US international big name. They're drawing 70,000 fans, 40 to 70, week to week. And big teams are coming in to buy those players and replenish. That's how football works as a food chain, to try and subvert it by bringing our best US players back to America. Ultimately, but no one's not a forcing, win for anybody. But no one's forcing the US players back. This, to some extent, is the US players choosing to come back because oh, America's nice. It's a oh, lovely it's place to live. Beautiful. It's a great standard of living. You can get paid pretty well to go and be here. And so I think better, a lot of this... Better than you would if you stayed in Europe. They're getting multiples of... Yeah, but are you going to become a much, much better player? I think that's the key. And I think that's what you're really saying. And that's, that's going to be a big decision for parents of kids. You think about the sacrifice that the, that the Polisic parents made, oh. like what they did as a family to go and send their kid off to Europe with no sense of really what that was going to be, but that sort of amazing and belief. No ability to speak German. Yeah, just absolutely phenomenal. But it's a massive sacrifice to go and do this. Look at, you know, a, you know, a young American player with great promise, Matt Miazga, went off, went to Chelsea, played pretty much one game, then get shipped off. He's now in Holland. It's going to, you know, it's a hard life. Didn't even life, have time to learn Cockney. Hard life to go and uh, didn't even get wedgied by John Terry in the dressing room. Well, he probably did. No. The, it, it's, a, it's a hard life to go and do it, but you do feel that the best players have got to go and perform on the elite stages. Number six, yeah. none of this is MLS's fault. 
I mean, if anything, MLS powered the development of CONCACAF and should be that's, applauded for that's, that. That's the only thing that could be regarded as MLS's fault. I mean, if you go anywhere in CONCACAF, they adore and revere the MLS for raising the level of their players' games, their coaches' technical ability. MLS has risen the level at every single CONCACAF nation, arguably apart from the US. But there's going to be blowback towards MLS from the ill-informed. And we've got a... We really don't... I'll put this in the eye. I, I just want to protect and support MLS. This is not, to me, on MLS, which leads to question seven. Who leads us now, David? Who leads us? Um, do you know, this is where, you know, though um, clearly I'm pro-business, pro-authority is my, is my general standing, but this is where I become more Marxist, as I do think that we've got to be led by the fans, which is our undoubted strength, and we've got to be led by the players. And I do think this is a time when when, uh, you know, unfortunately on those very sort of narrow shoulders of Christian Pulisic, the lot is going to be on him. He's going to be our star player. Star players make a massive difference in football. But the, what, the Individual what, star players make a massive difference. What's going on in the Galati house right now? I mean, this is a man, if you aren't familiar with him, who has given so much to US soccer. I mean, you talk to players in the 80s and he literally did everything. He washed the kit. He drove the team bus on occasion. But we're in a darkness on the edge of town moment and there is no escaping the train wreck of decision making that's led to all of this, David. I mean, just reflecting, appointing Jürgen. Yeah. Jürgen comes in, asks awkward questions. He's then left kind of hanging out there, rejected like a donor organ that didn't take, then replaced with an American sure thing, a homegrown god, the Bruce, Mm. only for that god to have clay feet revealed it's the worst rescue attempt since scatman Corillas in the shining the maze the axe in the head but i'm sure sunil wants to hold on david i'm sure he wants to deliver world cup to usa 2026 i can even imagine him trying to like unfurl some kind of distraction like announcing the world cup centenario is going to be held in the u.s all over the u.s in the summer 2018 with usa chile netherlands wales and Albania, not you, Trinidad. You've got to be in the He Believes Cup. You're playing Tobago. Yeah, Scotland could come over and get sunburnt. It's a, it, the, the alternative facts World Cup. I yeah. think that's a, great, <laughs> that's a great idea. I think we should push that. Yeah, I know you're listening, Putin, and I know you're trembling yeah. with the fear of competition, but that's how it works in capitalist yeah. America. Make America great again World Cup. That would be so good. Back to Sunil. I'd love that idea, by the way. He Believes. Well, looking after in the game. In a real footballing nation, David. Yeah. He'd have to go, wouldn't he? Look, yes, it, it, it felt a little weird last night after the game that Sunil's comments and Bruce's comments about like that there's not really any change needed. They felt a little, it felt a little weird reading those. And I sort of, you know, wished that they could have punted it and say, this is not the time to go and analyze that. We all need to have a big sit down tomorrow. If I could be their press person, I'd have said, don't even answer that question. Now say, we all need to go back and reevaluate what happened. Now's not the time to come up with the solutions. We, everybody, all the stakeholders in U.S. soccer need to go back and need to go and figure this out, like, you know, over the next few months. I think that would have been a better answer than, you know what, if the ball had not hit the post, then we wouldn't even be having this conversation. That that, that isn't really the answer to it. But look, I do question whether changes at the U.S. soccer level are really going to be the thing that make all the difference when football is a game decided by players and elite players increasingly those difference makers. We're seeing Ronaldo almost single-handedly win the Euros. We're seeing what Messi did last night to qualify Argentina for the World Cup. You just need really, really elite players and the 
the, the strongest people in every single position going and playing the game around those elite players. You know what? I doubt if we sat here, if we invited in the Italian Soccer Federation, the Italians are consistently very good at football. They perform very well on the world stage. I doubt if you met the president of Italian football, Calcio, you would be like, well, that's a very impressive man who could run a major Fortune 500 organization. It's just not all about authorities. And I think we have a tendency in the US sometimes to say, who's the commissioner of the NFL? Who's the commissioner of the NBA? How do we run this more like a business? How do we run this in a really efficient way? Sport is played when the whistle goes at the beginning of the game and the whistle ends at the end of the game. And it's a, it's close by definition and competitive. And I think it comes down to what happens in the stadium. Yeah, but you know, a, ma a manager's fired when things go wrong. A player's dropped. And you know that keeping things as they are sends a signal that failure is just tolerated and rewarded within American soccer. And to me, this is the true test of whether we're a true footballing nation. That's a good point. Because the, the first step to true change needs to be accountability at all levels, David. I'm not sure if we are a real footballing nation, but for me, this is the litmus test. That's a very good point. I think there's one thing about being super efficient and being super well-run. The other thing is demanding great standards. I don't think Chelsea's run as a super efficient organization. I don't think Roman Abramovich allows it to go and be that way. But there is a commitment to win throughout that organization, which has been a sea change from what happened uh, before Roman Abramovich came in and bought the club. So I do think a commitment to win. I think accountability. Sunil has been there for a very long time. He's up for election in the beginning of the year. I think due to term limits that he himself has helped enact, um, he can only run for one more term, even if he, he goes in. It's going to be interesting to see if he's opposed. A lot of names surfacing for people who might challenge him uh, for that role. Um, some of those names would be clear people who would continue the Sunil Galati uh, regime. I think it's going to be interesting. I think the first thing they're going to have to do is one assumes that Arena is gone as coach. One assumes that they're going to have to announce a new coach quickly. It's not like the US are going to stop playing football. There are a lot more international dates. They're going to need to have a coach in place. It's the World Cup centenario. Yeah, there gonna, is the alternative the, the World facts. Cup World Cup centenario Cup, does the not AFWC. Yeah, you're uh, at the singular Mick tweeted us to say US soccer president Theo Epstein. Oh, you jest, but God. He's 43. He's ridded the Red Sox of their curse. The Cubs of theirs. Winning the World Cup. Piece of piss. Get on it, Theo. Talking about accountability, David, the media, we've got to say it quickly, critical role. I mean, critical. Critical. Our lives depend on it and the growth of the game. Is Alexi taking this huge amount of crap when he criticised the US? Michael Bradley firing back that the lion doesn't care about the opinion of the sheep. But it should be normal that the media do criticise after terrible results. That has to be the future. I mean, we do. From this point on, it should not be an issue when the media speak out. We need a media that are not just friends with the footballers because they all want to grow the game. It's in their self-interest to grow the game and put on a positive face. But we need that critical element. Look, I think there is a sense. I think it was very interesting. Taylor went on uh, ESPN. I don't know if it was FC or ESPN proper last night with, with Max Bratos. The great Max. And, um, you know, said, look, this is the time off-camera we have the gloves off and we, we, we talk about this, but on camera, we tend to be somewhat, I'm paraphrasing, but on camera, we don't say the things that we say off camera. And I do believe that one responsibility of the media, ourselves included, is to say the things on mic, on camera, that we say off camera. There is sometimes a tendency in this country where people get very, very sensitive about the national team, that you've got to find a way to, to support, support, get support, behind the land. USA, 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 that not everything is said. And there is a little bit too much, you know, um, 
you know, we are very, very quick in the media to, and I'm, I'm going to leave Pulisic out of this because I think that he has all the promise in the world. But there have been tendencies, you know, Michael Bradley, one of the top five players in the world in his position, all of this sort of... Julian Green. Yeah, overinflation of... Julian Green is going to save us. That is... That is... That is... Um, there's wrong, you know, not enough focus on, you know, when Major Garrett made that point down in D.C. about that we've got to separate the important from the interesting is the job of the media sometimes is to not just talk about the interesting stuff, but talk about the important stuff. Center backs, playing defense, that's something which is just not really, we tend to obsess about the goal scorers, about the creativity, about the galazzo, about all of that kind of stuff. It's the failure over 20 years to find a centre-back pairing, which has really cost the US oh, a chance to go to this Wallace, World Cup. But I'll say that there's an audience for it now. We are blessed with a massive, more savvy fan base. Our eyes have seen in this country a lot more elite football, the Champions League, the Premier League, the Bundesliga, La Liga, than we had in the past 20 years ago. We weren't watching that. We can now judge CONCACAF with different lenses. We see it for what it is for real, which is that phrase we were joking about earlier this week, premium mediocre. Yeah. <laughs> premium mediocre football. Yeah. There's a structural conversation to be had. Let's have it. Let's all have it. All of us listeners. I mean, thoughtfully, strategically, with positive wonder, not with the self-loathing and doubt, which too often taints us. You asked me to be positive. And I've been thinking about that, Dave, to wrap up. My real positivity is when I think of all the kids playing football across the nation, the passion, the desire, the hunger. I mean, this is a country that does things, America. It really does. Steve Coogan, we always laugh at his line, if, if you give an Englishman the choice between his success and your failure, he'll always choose your failure. Americans want to win. They want success. They're doers. You, you created... Amazon, you created Tesla. You can do this. You can do this. We can do this. Don't panic. And just a number of remarkable players taking the field in this nation. They're almost infinite. I mean, many are not our traditional demographic, the suburban white pay-to-player. And we've got to publicly acknowledge this. I need to understand this more, how we can get a system that identifies the players, invests in them, educates our coaches to a sophisticated degree. You know, the Iceland way, there they've got one elite coach for 600 people in England. The number is one for every 11,000. I can't get numbers for America, but I bet there's more fidget spinner YouTube content creators than UEFA A-licensed coaches in our country. And that's got to change. Let's find them. Let's invest in them. Let's respect them. Let's create a system. And I'll just finish this part of the pod by saying, as a gent who was born in England like you, we both fell in love with this US team because of their their collective tenacity, their swagger, their never-say-die, and the way they make us feel that everything's possible. And that approach has been totally lost over the course of the last two years. It's gone. And last night, to me, I wrote this on our Facebook page. It was the end of an era, the end to our naivety when we, we believed qualification was our birthright. It's been a great run. There's going to be repercussions on all levels, players, coaches, U.S. soccer administrators, domestic leagues, youth systems. But we, we shouldn't shy away, should we? because what we do it is it i said this earlier it's going to define us for the next generation and i just want to say to everyone listening let's do what we need to do together and we can resummon belief absolutely roger my, I was on, my voice davo's attitude i was on a uh watching my 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 son george play football last week last thursday and he was on a field play the baby in new york city <laughs> 
on a pier. And literally, there were so many football games going on, coaching sessions, individuals working one-on-one, pickup games, like little team stuff on this one little field on Pier 25 in Tribeca uh, in the middle of the Hudson River. And that you just the balls were just flying all over the place and just watching all these kids play. Such a different place than we used to be with football in this country. I'd say his coach, very, very good. What they're learning in terms of their footwork, in terms of their how to play off the ball, all things they're learning at six is how to play without the ball, how to play with the ball, like being, you know, uh, knocked into them. Uh, it's just fantastic. And um, But on a larger basis, this country of, you know, I don't know what, what is the population of the 330 US? 330 million. million people versus Iceland, which has a population of about 330,000. We've got to come up with a system to unearth this talent wherever it is hidden. And you're so right about that mentality and that tenacity. What we were seeing from Panama, from Honduras last night, was that old US tenacity and spirit and fitness and and, and craziness. And we saw it with Ireland yeah. against Wales. Ireland does not have world-class athletes. They do not even have a Polisic. They brought yeah. it to Wales with a fury and yeah, a collective right. will. Uh, yeah, you're uh, right. Iceland, they do it every game. They Gilfie says before kickoff, we know we're going to win. We know we're going to beat the Netherlands. We know we're going to beat Croatia. We will get there. Yeah. No, the mentality is, 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 is very, very important. Anyway, it's not the end of the world. The World, Cup, like the World Cup is still going to be like amazing. The Alternative Facts World Cup they're is going to be amazing. They're still going to play the World Cup, even if we're not there. That is not cool. <laughs> yeah, well, well, we'll see what happens. Uh, Rog, another World Cup qualifying. It's not just American hearts breaking. We mentioned World this. Cup's the over. Netherlands, World Cup's over. Ghana, Wales, all missing out oh, on God. Russia too. But amid all the darkness, there is light. It comes via a diminutive man. Leo Messi, an entire country on his back last night, Rog. What a performance. And a diminutive nation near and dear to your heart, Iceland. Oh, Dave, well, we should talk about near and dear to your heart first. England are through insipidly. Two Harry Kane goals, two eyesore wins, 15 goals in his last 10 games. But you're England, Dave. They're essentially an international grade West Brom. They are very good at the back. Just defending, conceded three goals in qualifying um, have an amazing defensive record. They're taking very good centre-backs at depth to the World Cup, and they're taking Harry Kane. That's basically it. <laughs> <laughs> they're taking some centre-backs and Harry Kane to the World Cup, <sighs> and we'll see how far that gets them. My guess is uh, if out of the group stage, maybe for one match out of the group stage. England aren't very good. We shouldn't be aspiring to go and be England. We should aspire to do whatever they're doing defensively. We should aspire to go and do that, but there's very uh, little else to look forward Here's to. Here's a prediction. England will do better than the Netherlands, who are out. <laughs> oh, yes, that's true. And I'll say the World Cup, all the worse for the lack of Dutch fans and just that rich footballing heritage that the Netherlands bring. Farewell to Iron Robin, the ultimate power balled on the international stage, that dodgy flapper that you love, David, like a Tim Cahill header. Mm. The most predictable, yet undefendable move in football. You knew it's coming, but you can do absolutely nothing to stop it. Like an Omar Gonzalez own goal. But wow. All week, the story was a World Cup without Argentina, who struggled and struggled, then had to win in high altitude against Ecuador in Quito. They leaked a goal after 40 seconds. But then, but then, human poetry. Yeah, Messi took over. Uh, three, three goals, each one better than the last. Um, 
you know, whether it was the setup, whether it was the drop of the shoulder to lose a defender, using parts of the foot that I didn't even know existed outside, inside, top, bottom, everything. Um, what a player, what a oh. joy it is to go and watch him play football. Eduardo Galeano, the Uruguayan poet, said he, he plays football as if he carries the ball on the inside of his sock, inside of his boot, and that's what it was like watching him yesterday. And, and a player who, if you come up with the criticism of Messi, has not had his best performances in an Argentina shirt. This was almost his iconic performance in a must-win match at altitude, a hat-trick in that game. This was his iconic moment in that Argentinian jersey. The world loves Messi. Yeah. In Argentina, there is a slight sense of suspicion. They call him El Catalan. They call mm. him the foreigner, the guy who went away to become what he is. They don't believe he's really delivered to his nation. He delivered here with the entire country, the weight of it on his shoulders, glory in the face of elimination. Uh, what a human being. I mean, what a triumph. What a glory in the crucible. It was. It was Kipling-esque. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you. Lionel Messi, you are the man, my son. And then on a happy note, yeah. as we say in Iceland, yeah. Mazel tov, you tiny little beauty. Yeah. Smallest country to ever qualify for the World Cup by over a million people. I mean, for their story, we've talked about it a lot. We've made a film, which you can see on our Facebook page. We've had their wonderful dentist term manager, Hamir Halmogerson on the pod. Listen to that pod and learn America. I mean, he said after their qualification that after the Euros, he said the toughest thing to do would be to restart and do it again. He said this after his team beat Turkey 3-0 in Turkey, topping a group that included Ukraine and Croatia. And I'll say as difficult second albums go, what Iceland have just delivered is up there with Nirvana's Nevermind huh. and Public Enemies It Takes a Nation of Millions to hold us back. They navigated that group of ease. They had a blueprint. They invested in coaching. Look and learn. Look and learn and love. And I believe you may only be 330,000 people, but millions of Americans are going to be cheering for you, my Icelandic friends. You know they're going to be drawn against England in the group stage, right? Oh, almost inevitably. It's going to be like Sugar Ray Leonard versus Thomas Hearns too. Yeah. By the way, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and also Egypt have qualified. We're just missing North Korea, David. Yeah. And then it would be just like a oh, craziest World Cup of all time politically. I want to say congratulations also to one of my uh, favorite GFOPs ever, uh, Tim Cahill, uh, Rog. Just coming out. How old is Tim Cahill now? He's in 57. his late 30s. He's in his late 30s. Uh, 37. 36. 30, yeah, 36, 37. You know, scores yet another goal with his head. Two of them. Uh, in order to go and take them through an extra time against Syria. Uh, still got to go and play for a, a place at the World Cup for that, that fourth place. But it was uh, great to see a good thing happen to him. And Ireland, as you mentioned earlier, those fans, if they can make it through their playoff, uh, also, we just need to see those fans in Russia. I don't know. It might start an international incident, but it's uh, amazing stuff. Do it for Seamus. Do it for Seamus. Okay, Rog, uh, more positivity when we need positivity in this country. Thank God for women's football. The NWSL oh. celebrates the completion of its fifth season this Saturday with a championship game in Orlando. Last weekend's Disco Tunnel, Rog, last weekend's semifinals saw Portland top Orlando 4-1 in front of more than 18,000 at Providence Park. And in their first season playing as the North Carolina Courage, the artist formerly known as the Western New York Flash, beat the Chicago Red Stars 1-0 in Cary, North Carolina, thanks to a 90th-minute goal from the pride of Ireland, Denise O'Sullivan. It sets up a star-studded final between the Thorns and the Courage, 
at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Saturday, on Lifetime, Rog. In an interview recorded yesterday afternoon, you had the chance to preview the final with one of our footballing and broadcasting heroes. Oh, with the NWSL final coming up this Saturday, 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time, live from Jamlando on the Lifetime Network, there's really only one person I wanted to speak to. A two-time World Cup champion, <laughs> an Olympic gold medalist for your United States national team, an astute analyst for ESPN and Lifetime Network, and the one accolade we're sure that she always leads with, the winner of the Men in Blazers second annual Golden Blazer. <laughs> oh, live from South Orange County, California, it's the one and only Super Julie Foudy. Hello, Roger. Oh, super! Gosh, I miss you guys. Oh, I miss you terribly, as well as all the things I have read we'll out. Talk about that. The one accolade that I didn't say that I should have done. You are one of the world's loveliest human beings. Aww. Yep. Bless your soul. We're gonna... My mom's been talking to you, I see. <laughs> oh, you have she been covering. That. She calls people before I go on. She does. She makes sure that we're all tuning in to the <laughs> Lifetime Network, where you've been covering the NWSL. What a final we got in store on Saturday. The two teams with the top records in the regular season collide, Julie. It's the matchup everyone, I think, predicted. And you've got some great superstars on the Portland side. You've got a very cohesive team on the North Carolina side with some superstars on that team as well. But the thing that always amazes me about Portland is like a Christine Sinclair who's in her mid thirties and still the team's leading goal scorer, number two leading goal scorer in the world. And she's playing the number 10 and scored to finish the semifinal off against Orlando at home. So I just love when you see players like that who are still doing it on the league stage as well, the professional stage and, and doing double duty, which is not easy as we know. Oh, GFOP Lynn Williams leads the line for the courage the best-named team in pro sports, hands down. And for the Thorns, Elastico expert Tobin Heath just made her return after yeah. missing 22 games yeah. with a savage back injury. Who on Saturday are you looking to to be a difference maker? Of those two, one, Tobin Heath. I mean, it's so hard to come back from an injury like she did, so it was so great to see her get the start. The other player on Portland who I really like, who plays the front, is Haley Rosso, who is this Australian little fireball who maybe American fans aren't as familiar with. But she's come on in the second half of the season and just blown up the league with her presence. She tracks balls. She's fighting defensively. And she's fast as hell, Rog. So she gets, stretches defensively. She gets in behind in the Orlando semifinal game. She was the one who put that third goal away, which was really what closed the game out for them. And she did it by just basically blowing off their back line. They were playing high, and she had all the space. And she stretches out teams because of her pace. I really like that. Maybe not the cleanest technically, but it's a player you would want as a teammate just with how hard she worked. For Carolina, Lynn Williams is presence, of course, up front. And, you know, what's crazy is that we're not even mentioning the other one who was so instrumental last year for them is Jesse McDonald, who came off the bench for them. Oh, Megan Klingenberg is always my MVP. <laughs> now, Julie, a year ago, the Portland Thorns had to watch in shock and awe as the Western New York Flash, the courage before they relocated this year, celebrated on Portland's home field after their 4-3 extra-time semi-final victory on the way to winning the whole Pavlova. But 
Both teams split 1-0 victories in their regular season meetings this year. What are you expecting on Sunday? Can we get a prediction? I'm expecting a heavy defensive battle because we know they're two very defensive teams. I am going to take, Raj, I haven't made a prediction yet. I'm going to take Carolina. Do you need a score? Yeah, of course we do. Spoiler spoiler alert, listeners. Uh, Two to one. North Carolina. And when Julie said a true defensive battle, sell, 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 she meant a high-octane, offensive, freewheeling, must-watch spectacle. <laughs> yes. I know yes. I will be tuning in. <laughs> exactly what I meant. Now, Julie, I'm, I'll tune in for Julie Fowdy alone. I never want to let your mother down. But the NWSL <laughs> is wrapping up its historic fifth season. No other professional women's soccer league in the United States has lasted this long can we finish with a Julie Foudy NWSL State of the Union? Where is the league right now <laughs> in terms of its health and its progress? You're seeing, obviously, the factor that U.S. soccer brings with that stability and support. You're seeing how MLS teams, and when they come in, they're now in a position to be able to say, okay, we can add the woman's side to what we're already doing and focus on both which in past leagues has been a bigger issue. And even though you have a variance of owners, although all very well-intentioned, who are able to provide a first-class atmosphere, and that I think is an area they're going to have to try and get better at. And so there's less of a variance between the ownership groups. But having said that, I think it's in a great spot. You know, I think you're going to see more MLS teams come in. You heard the rumors about Barcelona. So, it's got that international presence. You've got big names and big teams looking at trying to jump in. And I think that's all a very positive sign. Barcelona talking about more than talking about, but are expected to launch a franchise in <laughs> California. Barcelona. I'm going to say it with the S. <laughs> you know, I studied in Barcelona, Roger, but you didn't know that. You taught, them all, you taught them all they knew about football before Julie Foudy got there. It, it was just a backwater. Everything. Transformed Barcelona everything. Barcelona was nothing before I went there. <laughs> well, actually, they won the treble that year. So maybe there were something. We oh. actually watched them win all three. It was awesome. We are breaking news all over the place on this one. <laughs> Julie, we will be watching Saturday. Godspeed to both teams at the weekend and Godspeed as ever to you, Super Julie Foudy. Oh, Julie Foudy. Golden Blazer winner, Rod. She makes everything feel better. It's exactly what I needed to hear her voice right now. Once again, the final... Julie Foudy for president. Yeah, that was a good idea. The final takes place... Uh, to, she would... Take no prisoners uh, around U.S. soccer. The final takes place this Saturday, 4.30 p.m. Eastern time from Orlando City Stadium, Disco Tunnel. It is being broadcast (laughs) on Lifetime. Okay, that's the good news. The bad news, Men in Blazers return to television this Monday after 5.30 p.m. Eastern time on NBCSN after Leicester versus West Brom. Oh, your national nightmare continues, America. French indie pop band and massive PSG fans, Phoenix, are our guests. Earlier that day, your two films promoted... On Huddersfield Town and Inside the Mind of David Wagner air at NBC SN at 1 and 1.30pm respectively. Rog, your final thoughts. Oh, I love you all, listeners. I love you, Davo. I'm in pain. I feel your pain. 
going to try and heal mine with Guinness. We're playing a lot of yeah. EA Sports FIFA, a lot. Right, watching Everton get crushed by Brighton at the weekend. And then dedicating myself for the next year to just trying to work out how to build constructive, positive change, David. Mm. Uh, and to young players who are listening, who live for the game in Texas, in California, in North Carolina, Oregon, across this great nation, take the pain that you must be feeling this morning, the doubt you experience, use it as motivation, pour it into your game, work harder, reinforce your belief, because despite last night, the nightmare, the humiliation, actually because of last night, I believe in this country and this footballing culture as much as ever and its future. Wow, that is that may be the most Devo thing you've ever said, is in super positive and slightly delusional. But I love that. <laughs> I, I, I love that. I do think that there is uh, that that the US is gonna learn a lot from this loss. I think that you're still gonna super enjoy this World Cup. And sometimes it's actually more fun to watch sport, more fun to watch football when the team you love aren't involved, you can really sit back and, and, and soak it all in. At times of doubt, at times of pain, at times of agony, I always want to know this too will pass. I'm going to close the pod in a slightly different way. Davo is going to read some footballing words of truth that will, I promise, bring comfort. When you walk through a storm, hold your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark. At the end of the storm, there's a golden sky and the sweet silver song of a lark. Walk on through the wind, walk on through the rain, though your dreams be tossed and blown. Walk on, walk on with hope in your heart, and you'll never walk alone. Afram Island. <laughs>